0: And to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. Hello, everybody. Just before we start this episode, I would like to share with you about the Exploring Aware Parenting community that Danny Willow and I are running for the second year. This community is starting on the 25th of September and we are so looking forward to diving deep into all the theory and practice of aware parenting and doing it together in a space where we can all feel nourished and supported, where we feel like we're on the same page with people around us and where we can come in and share the ups and downs that we all journey in our families. If you would like to learn more, the details are on my website, awareparenting.com.au forward slash community. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today I'm really happy to be finally sitting down and having a conversation with Katie Parker because we've been trying to connect now for you know, nine months or something so it's really lovely to to see you. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Oh thanks so much Just. it's yeah wonderful to finally be here. So, I'll just
0: quickly introduce you. Katie is a social worker, a postpartum doula, a parenting educator, a women's circle facilitator, and a mentor for mums in business. She is passionate about supporting women to find their most authentic and resourced experience of motherhood and business without the guilt, the overwhelm, and the depletion. She loves supporting parents to build connected and respectful relationships with their children through listening to feelings, play, and exploring their own childhood imprinting. Katie provides perinatal counselling, parenting and motherhood support through one-on-one sessions, workshops, local mothers' groups and retreats, both online and in Gippsland, Victoria. She is a mother of two beautiful children who have been her biggest teachers in life. Wow, what an amazing bio. I guess the best place to start is to hear a little bit about how you found Aware Parenting and what it was about it that appealed to you, given all of that background training that you had already.
1: Mm. Sure, it's hard to know where to start sometimes, isn't it? Because it's been such a journey. So I had my first child in, uh, so I've got an eight-year-old son and a six-year-old daughter. So my son was born in 2015 and then my daughter was born in 2017. And sorry, I thought the dog needed to go out, but she's just clonked herself somewhere else. (laughs) And so my entrance to motherhood was like so many other people's experiences when you haven't didn't really know what to expect was was a really challenging one i didn't really have the family support around at the time my own mum died as when i was a child and my mother in law had died before we had children and the rest of my family are either in tasmania or london and so didn't really have a strong sort of support and also my my partner was in a really stressful job at the time as well. So for those first, I had the two two kids under two and for those first three years of two pregnancies and having the two under two were yeah were super challenging. And as so many other people experience with the birth of that second child, it's not so much the baby that's the problem. It's all of a sudden the almost two or two or three-year-old behavior that all of a sudden presents itself as quite the challenge. And that was certainly my experience as well. I you know, knew what I was doing with, with my baby, but my my little boy, I yeah, really did struggle with his big feelings. I didn't, I really didn't know how to manage them. And I, I do remember it's quite a, a sad story to reflect back on, but I, I do remember the first time he ever showed, you know, he was having a tantrum, having his big feelings. And my partner and I just looked at each other and we we just did not know what to do. We're just like, what do we do? And I think one of us said, oh, I, I think we just ignore it. I think that's the best thing. And so we walked out of the room and I just have so much compassion for myself back then, we really didn't have any of the knowledge that we have today. So anyway, that was how we approach things to start with. And then it was actually when my youngest was around about one and I was finding that I was lying to sleep with her for a really long time and I was becoming quite resentful about it. And so I thought, okay, there's got to be a, it's got to be a win situation here. And so I'd heard about podcasts. I, I was new to the podcast world and I'd seen in Facebook groups that there was a thing called podcasts that people were listening to. And so I started listening to this podcast and it was actually Nourishing the Mother podcast and I just could not get enough of it. I was binge listening and so I'd lie there with my earphones in while she was crawling all around the bed. I had been breastfeeding her to sleep previously, but she'd stopped doing that at the time. And so I would just lie there while she crawled everywhere and finally an hour or an hour and a half later she'd fall asleep. And so anyway, through listening to this podcast, I heard two interviews, one with Lale Stone and one with Marion Rose and both of which I just absolutely loved. I was talking about her relationship with her teenagers on her episode and I just, oh, I just resonated with it so strongly and I thought that is the relationship I want to have with my, teenage- with my kids when they're teenagers and Marion was talking about, her interview was all around attachment play and I was like, oh my gosh, like I just didn't even really know this was a thing. Yeah, so I, that was my introduction to aware parenting and then... It, later that year, because it was that year that I discovered at Aware Parenting, we were actually travelling as a family. So my little one turned one during that trip and my elder one turned three. So we travelled for um, almost a year all around Australia, just going wherever my partner was getting work around the place. And we actually found ourselves back in Melbourne at some point for about a five-week period or something. And it was during that time that Lyle happened to be running an Intro to Aware Parenting workshop. So I actually went along to that in-person workshop and it was a three-hour Saturday or Sunday afternoon. And I just felt like my life had been transformed. I just, yeah, absolutely fell in love with her and everything that she was talking about. And so began my aware parenting journey, really. And then later that year, we actually, my partner, he got a job back in Gippsland. And I ended up going down, down in, in Tassie with, with my, it wasn't with my family. I was house-sitting for my dad at the time. He was overseas. And my partner had come back to Gippsland to start this job and find us a house. But the finding the house process was really drawn out and it took about two months for him to find somewhere for us to live. So I was solo parenting with my one and three-year-old with with a bit of knowledge around aware parenting, but I have to say things got pretty challenging over those two months. I just did not have the support I needed and wasn't meeting my, my own needs at all. As we know, that's such an important part of how we can hold space for our children is having our own needs met. And yeah, things got pretty, pretty challenging, let's say that. And I actually reached out to Lyle during that period and said, I need some support here. And so thus began, yeah, a really, a real deep dive into aware parenting. I had many years of quite intensive counselling and mentoring with Lyle. And yeah, and here I am now many years later, having done Marion's um, Aware Parenting Instructor Mentoring course and just absolutely, yeah, just done the real deep dive and a way of parenting has completely, and this is not an exaggeration by any means, but it has completely transformed my life and my parenting. And I'm so grateful. Mm.
0: Oh, I love that story, and I, I resonate with so much of it. And that's something that I hear again and again when I talk to people on this podcast. And it's so often the case, and it was my story too that it was that the behaviour of my eldest child when. They reach that sort of two-year-old, three-ish stage where they start to have big feelings that was the first moment of, oh my God, up till then, hadn't got much sleep, but at least we were surviving. But I really loved your explanation, your description of that sitting in the room and just looking at your partner and just being like, what's just happened there? And just having no idea how to respond to that in a way that actually helps our children. And that ordeal that you're describing as well of lying with your child whilst you're wanting them to go to sleep for an hour and a half. And they're just like rampaging around the bed and have no intention, no ability really to be relaxed enough to fall into sleep and how painful and drawn out that is. And I loved your description too, of you yeah, hearing those podcast episodes and really getting that sort of inspiration of what what the possibility is for our relationships with our children and our teens and and how amazing that is to know that's what we want and that's actually possible too. And I love too what you were saying about having lots of sessions, going to workshops, receiving lots of mentoring and and doing lots of courses online because I think that is so important and that was you know, something that I did too. Lots of sessions, lots of courses, lots of reading, lots of learning. It's something that really requires us to be exploring a lot and to be getting a lot of support in that process if we want to then be able to show up for our kids. So I really love that description. And I'm wondering if we could go next into a little bit about one of the things that I know you're really interested in is exploring this thing around the sociology of motherhood. And I loved your description there about how important it is in aware parenting for us to be meeting our needs and and tending to ourselves and to be
1: exploring our feelings. What would you like to say about that? Mm, I think so many of us enter motherhood with these this set of shoulds of how we need to do motherhood of there's these this set of very unrealistic societal expectations around what it means to be a good mother and we so often enter motherhood with these yeah with this set of unrealistic expectations that have either come through our own experience of being mothered and having a mother who is very self-sacrificial and always put her needs at the bottom of the list and it would always prioritize the needs of her her children and her family above her own and as well as society's expectations, of, as well, which is very much the, it's the mother's role. To a good mother doesn't get angry or all of these sort of uh, unwritten rules that we've been socialized into and have brought into from our own experiences of being parented. So, I think yeah, that's one of the things that I really you know, wasn't aware of at all. Becoming a mother and through through my own you know my own journey. So a lot of this was through support that I received from Lale and then further on studying motherhood studies with Dr. Sophie Brock and really understanding this whole social construction of motherhood has really helped me to unpack all of that. And and also understanding that we're not meant to be raising our children alone. We're meant to be doing it in community with support. And so many of us just don't have that that village of support around us. Another huge thing has been learning to ask for help, which again is not the norm in our culture where we grow up learning that to ask for help is you know, a sign of weakness or that's burdening other people. Once I really started to examine my own imprinting around, what does it mean to ask for help? What am I making that mean when I'm asking for help or what comes up for me or what was my imprinting around self-care and that sort of thing? My mum did die when I was 11. So I don't have, I don't have really strong memories of that, but she was like stay at home mum and did everything for us. As children, really, once you unpack some of these things, it can really be so powerful in being able to drop some of the guilt that we have in in, in motherhood when we realize that no, wait, this is this is ridiculous. <laughs> these expectations that are put on us or that we put on ourselves are so unfair. And so I, I feel that now I lead a much more empowered motherhood experience through dropping all of that and just pushing back against those shoulds. Of the perfect mother myth, and I, I do. I think yeah, I have friends reflect this to me quite often. That the way I do things sometimes is quite is quite radical, or no, no I mean radical in, in inverted commas. There, given the culture, it should be normal, but given the culture that we live in, so sharing with you just before we we hit record, that I'm going away for a night tonight. I'm really conscious that I need some space. I need opportunities to fill my own cup and to meet my needs and do things that bring me joy, so that then I can come back to my family with feeling great, obviously like just first of all, I feel like I deserve to feel good as a human being. But secondly, I have a secondary side effect of that is that I have so much more to give my family. Whereas I really think so many mothers struggle with this whole concept around needing to keep, keep our cups full and not just for our children, not just so that we can give more to our children, but also because we are worthy. And so much of us, so many of us struggle with that, with feelings of unworthiness that have come through from childhood. Yeah, there's a few of my reflections on that. Yeah, that's really beautiful
0: and profound. And I think, yeah, that's so often the case. I think almost everybody that I work with and everybody I know has some level of that unworthiness. And of course, that's often why we want to aware parent our children so that they grow up knowing that they're unconditionally loved and that they're lovable and that they won't have this same painful core wounds that that then impact every area of our life. But I loved how you were talking about that the process of basically deconditioning yourself from the shoulds and from society's expectations. And often it's incredibly difficult to do that because on the one hand, we're becoming aware of it and we're becoming aware of the fact that it's so normal. And what we really need is to be doing it in a village with support that we don't have. And learning, like you say, to be willing to ask for help and how hard that process is. And exploring all those imprints around self-care, I'd love to talk a little bit more if you're willing to share about how you went about unpacking some of that, how you learned to give yourself permission to take care of yourself, to ask for help. Is there anything you're willing to share about that process?
1: Yeah, it's so interesting. I have been asked this question before and I, I find it a bit hard to answer. I'm trying to remember actually what the process was that I went through. And I think definitely learning about the perfect mother myth was quite pivotal for me realizing how much I was, you know, because when you look at those, the, those myths of perfect motherhood, when you go down and actually look at them all, and then you're measuring yourself up and you're like, oh, this is why I'm feeling guilty here because of this particular expectation that I'm not meeting. So actually there was this conscious process that I remember I had, I had Dr. Sophie Brock actually come into a, a parenting program that I was running during lockdown, which was all around basically supporting parents who all of a sudden found them home, found themselves home with their children 24-7. And I invited Sophie in and she did this workshop with us and going through those those myths and working through them quite systematically and then identifying, oh yes, this is why I'm feeling guilt around this. And i um, actually going through a process of going, okay, is, is that actually the guilt that I'm feeling there? Is that because that's bringing me back into alignment with my own values? For example, if I've just yelled at my children, then the guilt that I feel there, I feel, oh, that is justified because that's showing me that actually that's not the parent I want to be. And that's an indication there that, oh, I'm not being the parent I want to be. Therefore that gives me the opportunity to go, okay, how can I do things differently? And I can that. Whereas other places where I might have been feeling guilt, it's more like the guilt is related to an expectation I have on myself around what a good mother is. And so, for example, so many mothers, they they guilt about having a night away or going out for dinner with their friends and not being around at bedtime or all of these things, which I would argue... (laughs) Is not justification for guilt, and so I think going through that process and actually working out okay, where I'm experiencing this guilt is this bringing me most is this bringing me back into alignment with my values, or can I just let this go? And I think that over time, I've become much better at letting so much more go when I realize that actually this has nothing to do with whether or not I'm a good mum. And I've been fortunate along the way to realize I didn't realize this when I got into a relationship with my partner, I've happened to call him this very supportive partner who had an experience of his own mother chasing her dreams. And there was an experience where him and his dad were living overseas They're all living overseas as a family. And his mum actually came back to Australia for six months to finish off her master's degree. So it was just his dad caring for him for those six months. And I feel like his imprinting around this is pretty strong. That A mother does not need to be with her children 24-7 to be a good mother. And he was incredibly close to his mum before she died. Um, So to be in relationship with someone who... Isn't also projecting his expectations of what a good mother is onto me either. And he, I remember the first time, the first time I ever left my children was to go to an in-person aware parenting weekend workshop with Layla Marion in 2019. And I do remember the feeling, so my kids were two and four, just turned two and four at the time. And I do remember having that feeling of, is this okay? can I do this? And, you know, really going to my partner in a very permission-seeking way of, is it okay if I do this? And him, yeah, of course. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, book the flights, That's fine. And I think, yeah, I think that's really been so supportive in my own journey of actually acknowledging that it's okay to meet my own needs and, yeah, do things myself. And the other thing I would say to that along that process is, yeah coming to this place of being okay with asking for help and learning that it's not a sign of weakness it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with me it doesn't mean that i can't handle things or that i'm that i'm a bad mother because there is this thing when you look around you and you have this perception that everyone around you is is coping and all they're managing okay what's wrong with me because the fact that i'm struggling here well, you really personalize that and think there's something wrong with you but so The process of, for me, of actually reaching out and asking for support, I feel has also been so permission giving for other people to say that, hey, this is normal, like we're not meant to be living like this. And I've organized things like this. For example, I had a friend who has similar age kids to me and we developed this friendship over time. Our kids started kinder together and we developed this friendship where I completely trusted her in looking after my children and she felt the same. And I I remember this time, I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous that we're doing the, like the dinner, the bath, the bedtime, that whole, sometimes it can be a stressful period of the day. We're doing this. Everyone is doing this in isolation. And it's for most families that I talk to, it's the hardest part of the day is that time of the day. So I reached out to her and I said, Hey, how about we share this? And so we had this situation where uh, once a fortnight, I would pick her kids up from school. They'd come back to my place. While they were all happy playing, I cook. I cook the meal, and then she would come over at about five o'clock and we'd all eat, the, eat dinner together. And then and off they'd go. And then the next week she would do the same for me. And so just having that 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 extra time to your to yourself, those c- couple of hours, really made such a difference in being able to meet my own needs. And it was often when I was going and going to a yoga class or I don't know do, doing something for me whether it was walking the dog or sometimes it was working, I'll be honest. <laughs> but often it was just that opportunity to do something for me after I'd after I'd worked during the day. And then having that that village feel of like us all gathering for, for a meal together, it just, it really, yeah, made such a difference. Oh, I
0: love that. Yeah. It's it just transforms it, doesn't it? It makes it so much more doable to have that. I love the fact that there are all these voices around now about our needs and and I wish I'd really known that earlier. And we have a sort of joke in our family that my dad put together this photo book of all the times that that my parents came out from the UK to visit us when the kids were little. And there's one photo in there of my husband and I all dressed up and it says underneath this was the one time that they went out to dinner together. Literally it was in 10 years. It was the only time that we actually went out to dinner and it used to be this joke that we just never took time for ourselves never and I really realized I, I that's something that I, I wish I would really understood back at the beginning of the process because it wasn't until my children were in their mid-teens that I started to really take care of myself and to be more aware of this mm. and I love that um, what you're talking as well about that stuff around comparison comparing ourselves to others and, and how painful and unhelpful that can be and then and the blaming and so on that comes in with that. And I really think that often we just have to find these small ways, like this beautiful arrangement you're describing with your friend. I had a very similar one with a friend of mine too, and we were homeschooling. So we would take one day a week, her kids would come to me for the whole day and I would make a meal and then her, and her partner would come over and we would all eat this meal together. And then the following week it would work the opposite way. And we ended up like doing this like thing called meals around the world, we called it. So we would just pick a letter of the alphabet and we would cook meals from that country. So like it, it was this really beautiful learning thing as well around cult different cultures and different foods and different geography and history and all those things. But that just completely transformed my life to have that connection. So often it does require us to be willing to seek that support and to make these arrangements and to suggest it to friends and to set these things up, but it makes so much difference. And the other thing that really struck me when you were talking is how important it is for us to be getting spaces to be heard and to be listened to in this process because so often our stuff comes up in really unhelpful ways when we're trying to take care of ourselves. And so for me, for example, I had all this abandonment wounding from my childhood. And so I really had this belief that if I ever left my children, they would be experiencing that same kind of really excruciating pain that I had experienced around abandonment. But of course, that wasn't true at all. (laughs) It was a completely different situation but i really had to dive into that a bit more and to really unpack that and to tease out that that story so that i was then able to actually leave my children without thinking that it was somehow going to be damaging to them but it's a big process isn't it
1: exactly and i think that's where that's, that's such a good example of just the the importance of having support through that because I wouldn't have been able to go through that process when you asked me about what was my process. I wouldn't have been able to do that by myself. I needed support. I needed someone asking me the questions of, is that just a story you're telling yourself there? Or is that actually fact? There's sorts of questions and really looking about what am I making this mean? And so often the the answer to that was if I dived deeper, it was like that I'm a bad mum. And so yes, having support to actually unpack some of that is so valuable.
0: Mm. Yeah, indeed. So we're talking quite a lot about self-care and I think it's just a really beautiful conversation to be having because I think it's something that we just need to hear again and again. And you spoke a bit about some of the things that you used to do, yoga and walking on the beach. And I love your example about taking a, a night to yourself today. Are there any other things that you find particularly nourishing to do to take care of yourself?
1: Mm, sitting in circle. <laughs> Women's circles has been a huge source of support to me, to me and this is why I then pursued women's circle facilitator training myself and now hold um, circles for women myself. Um, I think that is such a powerful, powerful way to to give to yourself. Just that being in a space where you're not, no one's there to fix you or uh, judge you, or you can literally just be so authentically yourself in those spaces and just be heard. I think that's been yeah, really powerful. And like I've already said, my own counseling and support mentoring particularly that support that I received from Lael for those you know few years was so valuable I think yeah any anything in terms of getting into nature I do live in the country so I'm fortunate to be right now in my study looking out onto a beautiful garden and we we don't have a, we don't have a beach close by but I can you know ha- have a day trip to the beach which I find so nourishing and yeah time away and also just not having plants <laughs> Is that really like slowing down, which is, I know is might be a little bit triggering for some people, but for me, the lockdown experience was, it was incredibly stressful in some ways and trying to run a business with small kids around with no, no other support. And you know, was, it was, there was certainly a very sp- stressful time from that perspective, but just that not having anywhere to be for long periods. And I was fortunate to, we had just moved to the country in that time. So I did have, a big garden and my kids were were little, so I didn't have the stresses of we, one of them was in prep. But I just certainly didn't put any expectations on myself to be participating in all the remote learning and all of that that some people, a lot of families did. And so just that slowing down, moving at their pace Rather than rushing them out the door to get to this thing or this thing or this school or their activities or whatever it is. And I know that as a homeschooling mother, I would absolutely love to homeschool my children. They unfortunately really love school. We're not there yet, but I just love, I love that. And I think that's so important to have that space. And I think when I reflect back on times that I might have got angry at my kids or been really stressful and responded in, in unenjoyable ways <clears throat> have been times where I've been feeling really understressed myself about having to be somewhere or something to do with work that I have to get done. Whereas if we could just slow, and I know it's such a symptom of the culture we live in. It's just this fast paced productivity equals success, capitalist patriarchal society that we live in. But so I know so much of it is is—is in some ways a symptom of that. But when we can bring intentionality to actually slowing the pace of life down, then it's, then actually spend, I, I find that spending time with my children is very enjoyable when we don't have those yeah, those outside pressures on us. As long as there's support around and you're not doing it in isolation, because also on the flip side to that, even when I was home with a toddler and a baby for long, long days, that was obviously also ha- has many challenges. So as long as there is support there and that you're not doing all of this alone, but just slowing down the pace of life, yeah, it can be so nourishing and just yeah, being pre- enables you to just be present with your children and really just look at them and observe them and be curious. Having time to do all of that and just yeah, like cultivating that really connected you know relationship with them, you need to have time for that. I think that's very hard when you're constantly rushing from one thing to the next. Mm. So yes, and it's why I love as a, a mother of children who are who do go to school. I love the school holidays, mm. and whether it's we're away on holiday or whether it's we're home, I just love those slow mornings and just getting to spend time with them and follow their follow their interests. What do, you know, what do we feel like doing today, guys? Yeah, I, I I love that time, and I think because of the lack of support around and that so many parents, but mothers in particular, are doing this in isolation, that's why it's so hard. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I really love that you brought that in. And I think that's, again, part of that deconditioning that we have to do because there's so many loud voices out there about the need to be doing this and going there and giving your children opportunities to do this activity and that activity. But actually, less is often more. And I really love that. But when you get that space to to just slow it all down and how important it is as well when we think from an aware parenting perspective and we can see that our children, when they've got accumulated feelings or when they are going into using control patterns, it's such an obvious indicator that their nervous system is either in that sort of hyper aroused state or in that dissociation state. And really, in order to come back to balance and to calm for us and for our children, we really need that. Space, that slowness, that gentleness, that sort of re-rebalancing of the nervous system, and yeah. and space for connection, space to be listening to feelings, space for play—that all requires time and space, and that kind of mindful present connection and attunement to our children. And when we're rushing around, which we all do, we all have those times in life where we have to rush around, but it it makes it so much easier to practice aware parenting and to build these connected relationships and to restore everybody's nervous systems when we are also taking time just to slow it all down. Yeah, I love that. I'd love to ask you about listening to feelings then and how that process was for you, learning how to do that. Any stories that you want to share around times that were particularly significant that you noticed, big changes in your children, and that sort of shift from, okay, I'm going to listen to feelings to actually like welcoming. Great, my kids have got feelings. Awesome. Bring it on.
1: How was that process for you? Well, this has been just huge. As I said, we had just no idea... <laughs> What to do initially, and it was either ignore or fix and try and stop. Do you know do whatever you can. And I think that's for so many parents. We've had childhood experiences of when we've had feelings, they've been shut down or we've been distracted from them or dismissed, belittled, punished. These are the experiences we've had. So the the process of, of learning to listen to feelings, I'm not gonna lie, it was really challenging. And when you haven't had space held for your own feelings. To be heard, then that must makes it so much harder. So I think so much around my process of learning to listen to my children's feelings was having the space to have my own feelings heard. But yes, I laugh now at how how strange I must sound to some of my clients when I say to them that I love listening to feelings or that I just I welcome the tantrum because I just know what is on the other side of that yeah, my kids are that little bit older now, but for the last last few years, there's obviously been a lot of feelings I've listened to. And yeah, just this feeling about when you can see them on the edge. And I know that there is something I could do in that moment to stop them. And there there have absolutely been times where I have done that, when I have just not had capacity in that moment to listen. And again, I just show myself so much compassion for those times. And don't beat myself up that, oh, I didn't listen to them that time or whatever. I just knowing that I will have so many more opportunities. So yes, just when, when you can see that they're just on the brink, just like welcoming them. And it's this really embodied grounding. I feel this heaviness in my body of just being so grounded and really bring it. I'm here for you. I am listening <laughs> and just, and just being there and just whether it's they come in for a cuddle and they're crying or whether they, I just sit with them and they don't want me anywhere near them or whatever the situation is, just knowing knowing that just sitting there through that with them, for them to know that I'm here and I'm listening, even if they're really angry at me or whatever the situation is, just seeing that evolution that them coming back into balance. And I think my, my, my son does this so beautifully he it's quite physical and we can see when this is happening and so what we will do is particularly if it's if it's starting to be towards his sister will take him take him into the bedroom and he just goes mad like he pulls the doona off his bed he pulls all his clothes out of his cupboard and there's clothes all over the floor chucks things around and obviously we are keeping him safe and, and ourselves safe and all of that in that process but it's like this and he rages and Eventually, we just sit there and we just know there's nothing to say. There's nothing to do. <laughs> it's just sitting there, letting him know that it's okay and just to let it out and just give him permission to do whatever he needs to do there. And just this beautiful process of him watching him come back into balance and coming in for the cuddle afterwards. And then we can sit there and he will do it with us, fold up the clothes, put them back in the drawers. He'll help make the bed again and put the pillows back on the bed and it's just this beautiful, pr- I just actually love witnessing that. And I think when we can just really trust that our, our kids just need that time to have the, Have someone listen to their feelings, that they do come into that beautiful, they return to themselves, don't they? And, and to their calm and cooperative selves and yeah, just watching that like him help Put, fold up the clothes and put them away It's just is just so beautiful, and I remember another time actually where my my daughter I could hear that she'd hurt her she'd hurt herself, and I, I was in my bedroom at the time and I could hear them coming up the stairs and I could hear my son saying to him something sorry my son saying something to her something like oh, do you just need mummy do you just need mummy to kiss it better or. Do you just need mummy to, do you just need to tell mummy about it or something? It was something along these lines. And that was literally what it was. She came in to show me her sore finger and I said, oh, that looks really sore. And she's like, yes, it is. And then that was pretty much all she needed. (laughs) And they turned around went back downstairs and back to their playing. So it was like, it was this him, seeing him. Acknowledge that that's what she needed. She just needed to be validated in her hurt and her pain and her feelings there. And then they were right to go back and and continue playing. And so many times it's just, oh, uh, sometimes I just find it so unbelievable. What a small intervention I need (laughs) need to do there, which is really just, oh gosh, that's so hard or whatever it is. It's just validating them. And they let it out, and then on 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 with their day they go. So yeah, it's incredibly powerful. And I think when we can just stop the that urge in us that needs to fix, there's a yeah you know, we need to stop the crying or fix the, the whatever the the issue is, and can just be with them through it. It's it is so powerful.
0: Mm, yeah,
1: I love that. I loved how you answered that because I think yeah what
0: where you were starting in that. Response: You were talking about how hard it is for us to do this when we haven't received it ourselves, when we didn't receive it as children and most of us don't receive it as adults either and and how important it is for us to be hearing that and hearing that language and having that model to us and the sensations and experiences of, of receiving it and getting the opportunity to share. And I loved what you were saying too about the times when you don't have capacity to listen, that you are able to offer yourself compassion and to know that it's all going to be okay. And I love this with aware parenting as well, this trust that it's all going to be all right. They will bring it up another time. And so we don't need to go into that shame spiral of, oh, we're not doing a good enough job or we're not aware parenting properly or any of those sorts of things that tend to come in. And then I I also really love that sense you were describing of that sort of heavy, solid, grounded rock Mm -hmm. presence that you're offering your child when they're in the midst of those big feelings and the immense power of receiving acknowledgement and validation. And like you say, it doesn't always need to be this really long process of, Huge feelings. Sometimes it is. And sometimes it's just as simple as saying, Oh, sweetheart, that sounds really hard. Tell me more if you want to. Is there anything else? And often it's just, no, it is really hard. And then that's it. It's off. They're off. It's done. So beautiful. And I, I just and that's something that just carries on. I think I love that normalization of of big feelings for all of us most days. And I think sometimes when we start aware parenting, we think if we listen to all the feelings, there won't be any more feelings. But actually, we're just endlessly listening to feelings ourselves and our children. And My kids now are 19 and 17, and they still have lots of big feelings, although my daughter really doesn't like it when I call it big feelings anymore. There's still lots of listening. There's still lots of invitation to to get into that really grounded, solid clarity that, okay, They just need to be validated. They just need to be heard. They just need to be acknowledged right now.
1: And I think that something I start my parenting workshops is when you, because the parents I work with are typically zero to seven or eight, that sort of kids of that age. And I say, what relationship do you want to have with your parent, with your kids when they're teenagers? Like what's going to be important to you? And everybody says, I want them to know that they can come to me about anything and and all of this. And I think this starts right now from the very beginning, (laughs) whatever they bring to you, you know, you need to listen to them. And I unfortunately do witness this after school sometimes when I can see kids go to their parents with big feelings and I I can see them being shut down or just, oh, I'm sure it was like just dismissed or carried on or just not even really heard or, oh, come on, let's go, we've got to get going. And, oh, my heart just breaks. Oh, if we just spend that 30 seconds is sometimes all it takes, for example, or a minute or a few minutes of just how your day and hearing, hearing the feelings that they've had bubble up over the day or, oh, this person said this thing to me or the teacher did this or whatever it is and when we can just be that safe place of, oh, honey, that's hard, then they're going to trust us with the big stuff later on. Yeah. And that's just
0: absolutely—that's true. That's just what happens, absolutely. And the more that we get into that, <laughs> yeah. that's it that's what it is and yeah offering that connection offering that listening offering that space from a very early age just transforms your relationships with your teenagers because yeah they know that it's safe to come to you they know that they won't be judged or shamed they know that it's okay to make mistakes they know that you're always there to listen and that it's normal to have big feelings and that it's normal to want support and that their needs matter and yeah, you know, all the pieces. It's just so beautiful. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. I'd love to ask you then a little bit about play and connection and how that has been in in your family. How have you found incorporating that aspect of aware parenting? Any oh, stories you'd like to share about that?
1: I love this. I love it so much. And it's been only until very recently that for years and years, from from when my son was little to to quite recently that he's just loved this game and my daughter as well but he would specifically ask for it and he he would start by saying mum <clears throat> can we play that game the one where like you're sitting and then I knock you over and then I try and escape but then I can't escape but then I do and then I run away and then detail exactly the game he wants to play and then it was and it's so funny because then he I don't know somewhere along the lines he nicknamed this game Shove because, you know, he's shoving me over or something. And it was so funny because at a Mother's Day, I get the Mother's Day card from kinder a couple of years ago and my daughter had written in there, I love it when my mum plays shove with me. <laughs> oh my gosh, what are the teachers going to think here? But anyway, that's the name that my son has given this game just that that's and that's one of our oh that's one of our favorites to do before bed which I just think that particular game encompasses so many beautiful things. Obviously there's that power reversal where he's the strong one knocking me over and I catch him and say you're never escaping from me and obviously then he does escape. When there's that physical there's that physical connection and that closeness of me giving in the big cuddle and and obviously just all the laughter that brings as well and that beautiful opportunity to release those accumulated feelings as well. So that's been a real favourite in our house. Another one, and I have to say I haven't really spoken much about the whole partner thing. I know this is, this is a big thing for mothers particularly is bringing their partners on board or this thing of like how do I get my partner to see it this way because it was me absolutely that did all the research and did all the sessions and and all of that. And I love that. I love watching him And he does both beautifully. Like he listens to feelings and plays with children really beautifully, but particularly the play, how he's just absolutely embraced that. And it's been so much of me, you know, modelling over the time and then sometimes not so much now because it's normal for us now. In those early days when he would say, oh, yes, yep, she had some big feelings and I just listened to them and I was like, oh, wow, oh, you get it, this is great. But, yeah, some of the things that he has come up with are just hysterical because the transition, those transitions often challenging and we were having some struggles with the bath bath time getting them to have their bath and so he brought in this game called daddy airlines and he would be there so the kids are playing in the living room and the goal was to get them into the bath and into the bathroom and he'd be there oh this is daddy airlines flight one two three departing the living room for the bathroom (laughs) and he'd put on these of the airline hostess like boys and they're like I can guarantee that there will be no turbulence and we'll be it will be a direct route to the bathroom we will not get lost <laughs> and oh, no, whatever he says and then <laughs> so he ha- has them they jump on his back and fasten the seatbelts and everything and then of course he goes all oh, the bump, bumps into walls goes into the wrong rooms and yeah they just find it absolutely yeah, they're, they're a bit big to jump on his back now but so we're not doing it so much anymore but oh gosh that was just that period of, of time where they do that, and I would be in hysterics because it was just hilarious and they were in hysterics and you know, hey they'd get in the bath no worries yeah that was a really fun one and earlier on I would do this the lots of I don't know I had this thing around being mummy and like picking different animals of and then my having my baby climb onto my back this is Probably when my daughter was around, like two or three, and I'd like, oh yeah, you know, this is Mummy Monkey. Mummy Monkey's looking for her baby. Where's her baby? Oh, it's time, it's time for her baby to have a bath. Where is she? She can't find her. And I'd be running around. And, ee- ee, ooh, ooh. and then little my little daughter would run around. Oh. <laughs> she'd hop on my back and we'd be the two monkeys would go in and then yeah, again, all the laughter and connection, and she'd just get in the bath. No, no worries at all. Another one that comes to mind was around teeth brushing. And oh, I think this was probably the hardest. Again, my, I'm thinking my daughter would have been around three at the time, probably, and to- teeth brushing was the hardest thing at the time. And I feel like we tried all the things, but then I just oh, sometimes these little moments of geniusness come to you. And I she had this toy donkey, and I remember just one day, just with the donkey calling out her name in the little donkey's voice, and oh, excuse me. Um. I wonder if it's okay if I brush your teeth. <laughs> and, she, oh, and just the child, like, I've literally just been spending the last half hour trying to get a teeth, brush her teeth. No, I wouldn't have a bar of it. And then this donkey and, and she, oh, oh, okay, donkey. And and then, yeah, and the donkey's like, oh, I don't know where the bathroom is. Can you show me? And putting on the little voice and then she'd carry the donkey. She'd carry the donkey. Oh, this is the bathroom. Oh, which one's your toothbrush? And, and can I have a little brush? And <laughs> the donkey would hold the toothbrush and brush her teeth. And it was just amazing, the switch. From her just being no, nah, there's no way you're getting my teeth brushed to just being just delighted to have the donkey brushing her teeth, and this works like night for months. So yeah, there's just a few little examples that that we've yeah really played. Oh, and getting getting dressed, putting their clothes in funny places. Is this where your trousers go on your head? And all of that has just oh, just makes the more morning, the mornings particularly when you've got to get. This was probably more. They're fine now. Daycare and kinder, those years when they're a bit younger, and those mornings could be could be really stressful. But oh my gosh, the value of just bringing in play there, and for myself, just getting up that little bit early earlier, so that I had the the time and the capacity to play, oh, just made those eve those mornings so much more enjoyable. And similarly, you know, in the evenings, I know that evenings can be such a challenge for parents. Whereas bringing in that play just, yeah, completely transforms it. And, and I love, I absolutely love bedtime with my kids and have done for a long time now. So, mm. yeah. Oh, I
0: love those stories. It's just it's just so beautiful, isn't it? It's such a gorgeous part of aware parenting and I'm really touched listening to those games. And I'm just imagining your children, like looking back on their childhood and just having so many memories of having fun and connection and you're not having those battles, but instead you're having these turning it all into this opportunity as often as we can to have an enjoyable, fun, connected, laughter filled. And it's not easy because like you say, we we are often really exhausted at the end of the day and it's not easy to play, but anytime you can just bring that fun and that laughter. And I love those games because like you say, I mean, often I loved Lisa's book, Attachment Play. I think it's incredibly helpful. And also that often when we are playing with our children, we're bringing in lots of different elements of attachment play into each game. It's not just that we're thinking, oh, I should do some power reversal play. What game will I choose now? It's often that we're doing a game that is power reversal and nonsense and contingency and symbolic and all of those things at once. But it's really lovely to allow our children the opportunity just to be with a lighthearted parent, because it's often, it's a serious responsibility and it's a serious business and we're often pretty stressed and pretty stretched. So bringing play really just changes up the vibe for everybody in the family, as well as eliciting cooperation. And it just ticks all the boxes really, doesn't it? And even the other night, actually, my daughter was, she was I was about to go to bed and she said, oh, I'm going to do my skincare routine. She's now into skincare age 17. And I was like, can I come and join you? And can you show me how to do it? And so she was showing me all the different steps and she was doing it to me. And then I was getting it all wrong. And she was laughing at me because I didn't know what any of the products were. And so we were just having, there were so many elements. There was power reversal. She was in charge. There was nonsense and silliness. There was lots of laughter. There was touch. There was it was just so beautiful. And it was like a 10-minute thing that was really nourishing and fun between us. And then the next day she woke up and she was just like delightful. So it just it always works, like whatever age they are. It always works to shift things, to make cooperation, to bring fun. To it's just beautiful. I love it too. So nice. Yes, I, I love that. And I love
1: particularly when you find those particular games or whatever it is that, that, that elicit the laughter and <clears throat> something for my son at the moment because you know, I have to say things have got a bit more challenging as he's got a bit older and but he's they're, they're doing the Lion King as part of their end of school performance thing and he's doing I think it's circle of life where it's singing in the African language and and so he's learned these these words and it, trying to teach me the words just brings about so much laughter because I always get it wrong and yeah. I and sometimes I deliberately get it wrong because I, I know that will get the laughter and so just sometimes if I feel like there's just a, if there are some feelings there for him I'll say can we practice that song again together and then that'll I know that'll bring the laughter again He said, like, no mum you're getting it wrong <laughs> this is how you say it I'm oh no I've done it wrong again and yeah but I think it's so important to acknowledge there isn't it that 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 time of the day, the bedtime is the time that as parents, we most exhausted and depleted. So again, looking at, okay, how can you get your needs met? And this is where support, support is so important. And something that my partner and I will do if he's around is we might, if if we're both exhausted or if one of us is exhausted, we'll just tag team and we'll just have a lie down and we'll just let the, the kids play or one of us might be doing the dishes and the other one just has a 15 minute or 20 minute lie down just so that we have the energy to bring to that. Mm -hmm. Otherwise we know what's going to happen if we're exhausted. We'll end up snapping and it will just be an unpleasant experience and no one's going to get their needs met and it's just going to be horrible. So if just, and then sometimes I will just say to the kids, they're old enough now where I'm like, if it's just me by myself, I'm like, I just need to have a lie down for a bit. Can you guys just occupy yourselves? And they'll happily play just so that I can then feel that I've got the capacity to to then get through the bedtime, but also, I think even just changing my mindset made a really big difference. So rather than seeing the bedtime as a battle, which I really did used to, that's the way I used to see it, of like, it's something to endure. I've got to get through these hours and it's going to be horrible. Changing when I learned about listening to feelings and bringing in attachment play and all of that, changing my mindset to, oh, what a beautiful opportunity for connection. I'm actually going to really enjoy this time because it's going to be fun and connecting and I can cuddle my kids and just, and now that they're old and they do bring all their school worries to me when we're like, when we're lying in bed at night and just looking, changing my, the way I totally changing the way I look at it as, as something to look forward to, I think has been really, yeah, really helpful as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that idea of just regrouping, having a 10
0: minute sort of or 15 minute moment to just, okay, rest, get ready for what's to come. That can be really helpful, connor And yeah I think it's often with a attachment play it's like the short term investment of energy for a significant ease in the so it could be like 5 minutes of play just just getting yourself into this mindset where I just do 5 minutes of this and it's going to make everything easier. And if I don't do five minutes, of this whole process could take so much longer and be so much more drawn out and painful. So yeah, it's often seeing it. And it does change the mood usually. And even if when we're in those moments when we're just like, oh no, I don't have it in me. I can't do it. We can even make a game out of that where we just like lie on the floor and say, no, you can't make me play with you. I'm not going to. I won't. I refuse to play with you. I refuse. And they jump on you and whatever. So you can bring it in very small ways. It doesn't always have to be these huge elaborate games, does it, in order to be effective.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. yes.
0: So I'm um, wondering, what does anything else that we haven't spoken about, Katie, that you'd love to just touch on before we finish?
1: There's probably one thing that I often say to my clients, which I also use in my own parenting, is when things are When things are challenging, if you're in a challenging stage or season of parenting, it's a question that I ask that really helps clarify your values and looking at what sort of parent you want to be. And, And the question is, if you're on your deathbed and you're reflecting back on this particular time of your life, what are the things you want to remember? What are the things you, what are the moments you want to remember about this time? How, and so much of that is like, how are you with your kids what's the relationship or what do you want them if they're looking back or they're at their I don't know wedding or whatever it is and or they're doing a speech at your they're doing the eulogy at your funeral for example or something like that and they're talking about this particular time of their lives what is it that you want them to be saying about that and similarly for you how do you want to remember this time i think that can just bring us back back into alignment with our values and back into really connecting with what really matters and Helps us to slow down and be more intentional about how we're living our lives and focusing more on the relationship and the connection we have with our children rather than what to say or what to do or scripts to follow or anything like that. Actually, just bringing attention to, yeah, your relationship with your child essentially and how, because that's what they're going to remember. They're going to remember how you made them feel. And yeah, I think that can be a nice little reminder to. Bring yourself back into the present moment. Look at that beautiful child in front of you. See what they're bringing to you. Throw out all the shoulds or what anyone else is saying, and say, "If I want to have a really connected and respectful relationship with my child, how would that person? What do I? What do my actions need to do from be from here? How do I respond to them?" And just yeah, really slowing things down to yeah to bring intention to that. Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah, that's right.
0: Because then we're acting from our heart and then it's always going to be better isn't it? it's and it's going to bring us back to what we really truly want and and that's a, a beautiful and satisfying way for us to be living in relationship with our children I love that thank you
1: yeah. and I think this can this is a, bit, a particular like school example there, there can be a morning rush to get to school and I just feel like like yes I know there's pressure to get to school on time and all of those things that, that you know that I'm also conscious that my children are receiving this pressure from their teachers and that sort of thing as well but I would so much rather spend that bit of extra time listening to the feelings, connecting if there's resistance to go or whatever the thing is, spending that extra time and being late to the thing rather than worrying too much about the outcome and forgetting about the relationship and the connection in the meantime. And I know that can be really hard in our culture, but when I have those moments of remembering and focusing more on the connection and that relationship with my child rather than where we need to be or whatever that can be yeah really helpful as well
0: Mm.
1: so nice so nice and so nice
0: for them to receive that isn't it that that Mm. sense that they matter and that you want to connect with them and that yeah you're going to prioritize tending to them and their needs it's just beautiful even amidst all the chaos of life yeah so nice
1: yeah
0: so where can people connect with you what do you offer katie how can people find you
1: i can be found on instagram at katie parker parenting and on Facebook, although I do have social media breaks from time to time. <laughs> um, otherwise, my website is um, www.katieparker.com.au. And yeah, I offer so on, um, online, I offer one on one sessions. Um, that's the main, my main sort of online offering at the moment for people local to Gippsland. I do offer like a free pregnancy and new mama meetup once a month to connect local pregnant women and mums in that sort of first 18 months or so of parenthood and really support them to build their village, which has been, yeah, really beautiful. And I also run, well, oh, I've just run my first ever retreat just this weekend gone, and so I, I love that. I'm looking forward to bringing more retreats. And I also, I, I don't have any more this year, but I've also run local um, parenting workshops as well, beautiful. like an introduction to building connected and respectful relationships with your child.
0: Beautiful. Okay, I'll put all those links in the show description. Thank you. And the last thing I always ask people on my podcast is if you could go back to the beginning of parenthood, knowing what you know now, what do you, what would you love to be able to tell yourself or what do you wish that you'd known at the beginning of this whole process?
1: Oh Gosh, oh, so much. <laughs> oh, I wish I could. Yeah. I really wish I would just could tell myself just to slow things down. There's no rush to just look at that Beautiful child in front of me, and just observe them, and be curious about what's going on for them. I think I, re- I really got caught up in those early days of really thinking that my child was out to get me, <laughs> and that he was intentionally making my life hard. And really looking looking behind the behaviour, getting curious about what else is going on there, and also just pushing back against all those shorts, like just throwing all the shorts out the window, and just really. Living my own unique, authentic experience of motherhood, living life, my motherhood and parenting on my terms, in alignment with my values and according, meeting the needs of my children, as opposed to listening to what other people around me say. Mm. Particularly relevant when it comes, I know we haven't touched on sleep in this conversation. I think that couldn't be more more true for the whole sleep issue issues mm-hmm. that I have around listening to other people rather than actually tuning into my child's needs and focusing on like that connection oh, I love that I love that I, just, I was imagining myself
0: knowing that right at the beginning of this process too and how much less stressful it would have been just to know that
1: yeah yeah that noise.
0: <laughs> yeah beautiful <laughs> Katie, thank you so much for making time to come and talk. It it was so worth the wait to actually connect and have this conversation. I really enjoyed talking to you and I'm so grateful for everything that you shared. I think it will be a really beautiful episode for people to hear. So thank you so much.
1: Thanks so much for having me on, Joss. I really loved our chat as well.
0: Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures.